Womandla on cliffcentral.com. Yep, you're listening to Womandla. I'm Pumi Mashiro. It's Wednesday or any time that you choose to listen to it because this is cliffcentral.com and we're keeping it real. This week and month, June, end of June, going into July, is Drug Awareness Week. Drug and Alcohol Awareness Week started internationally, kicked off on Sunday with an international day. And so I thought, hmm, there's... A lot to talk about when it comes to this particular thing. And I think starting off with Amy Winehouse, 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 starting off with Amy Winehouse is the whole world watched the tragic demise of an incredibly talented and incredibly beautiful girl um, in what looked like a train wreck and none of us could look away. But I think even bringing it closer to home, South Africa is in the grips of a new phenomenon or a changing phenomenon where we are seeing drug abuse, drug use becoming an everyday scourge. Whether you are talking about dick in the upper classes, whether you are talking about nyaupe in the townships, whether you're talking about alcohol abuse, whether you're talking about um, cocaine and everything in between, Addiction is becoming a problem. Addiction is a big problem. A couple of weeks ago, we all were shocked and horrified when SABC board member, former board member Hope Zinder was found in the boot of her car with her son in the house after having been missing for like five days. Shocking, horrifying, but not the typical, not the typical drug user profile, not the typical, oh, spoiled rich brat kid. And dare I say it, white on drugs having an episode. So I thought, who is the best person to chat with us about this? I have known about this organization for a very, very long time. And it is something of an institution out here in Johannesburg, Phoenix House, which is now a private organization, but has been around for many, 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 many years, since about 1974, I think. Mm is a drug rehabilitation center and I've got one of their counselors here with us. Nicole, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell the people who you are and what you do. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, my name is Nicole van der Bosch. I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict myself um, and I'm an addiction counselor at Phoenix House. Um, I feel incredibly passionate about the career I pursued because of the personal struggles I went through, what I saw myself put everyone around me through. So my passion is, yeah, to absolutely help people. Um, you know, we, we don't always help them till the end, but it, at least it's a start. Um, and I, and I'm really passionate for me about helping women in recovery. I, I, there's a, there's a stigma around it. There's, there's different challenges that men would face. So let's start with, is the profile really changing or is it simply because there are a couple of high profile cases in South Africa that suddenly we're thinking, hmm, Drug problems are becoming big problems in the townships, becoming big problems to middle-class black South Africans too. Is the profile really changing or is that simply because people are reporting it more? I think to a certain extent it has changed. Um, I think in the townships you would probably, before Nayope, um 
was so became so rife, you were looking at probably a weed addiction um, and possibly a tick in in some areas. But I think Neope is really, I mean, it's townships are now riddled with it. The majority of my patients actually at a time are between like the 18 years old and 25 year old, and that's what and black males, and that that's what they're using. So you've still got yes your I don't know what you want to call them, your upper-class whites that were using cocaine, but now they've moved on to cat, which is a much dirtier drug. Um, And you see, yeah, there's definitely, there is a change. So let's start where I think is the beginning. How does a person identify that, hey, I may have a problem here, whether it's in myself or within somebody close to me how do you identify it how do we go and i i think about the amy winehouse story and i think like how did we all miss it until she was like gaunt and like that how did we miss it is it something that you do miss or how what should you be looking out for as a parent as a as a lover as a friend in yourself or people around you when does it stop being like recreational drinking you know to being a problem look i think if you're talking about in yourself it's it's very simple. Can you do it with pe- with with people watching? If you're doing something behind closed doors and you're not wanting everybody to know, you've got a problem. Um, for example, you know, I, I could I could drink wine in front of my parents. Could drink I could drink in front of my friends. But the problem came in when I was sneaking off to the fridge to gulp about a gulp a couple of mouthfuls of wine, then filling a glass and returning to the table. That's when you've got a problem. So. You need to, yes, people do use drugs recreationally and some of them are not addicts and they stop, they, they maybe use, use something on a Friday night. Saturday they've, they've woken up feeling terrible, but by Sunday they're back to normal. Unfortunately, the addicts and the alcoholics out there, they can't stop and they, and they, they're hiding it. They're not doing it with their friends anymore. They're doing it on their own and they're preferring to do it on their own. So I think if you look from a, a loved one or a family member's perspective, I think the first thing would be to look at it. Are they being secretive? Um, does it look like they're trying to hide something? And then there'd be certain changes, obviously, in their behavior. Probably quite a bit of paranoia, anxiety, anger. I know when I was in a situation where I, I couldn't do as I pleased, I would get very irritable with people around me, very impatient, very intolerant. So I think you, you need to look for mood, firstly, and, 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 and a definite change in behaviors. And whether that be, yeah, the extreme, either or very happy. I mean, if you're on a high, you're normally loving life, loving people. Conversations are much more interesting than they ever were before. I mean, you can literally sit around a table and talk about a coffee cup and it's, it's the most riveting thing you've ever discussed. Mm, and then what? Then what do you do? So if I think I recognize all of those signs in a person close to me, what do I do? And this is where we face the difficulties because normally almost 99% of the time, the person will deny it. So it is, it's very delicate. Um, you need to handle it in a very kind of specific way. Um, going straight out and asking a loved one, you know, what, what is up? What are you doing? I, I know these changes of behavior. They are going to deny it. They're going to probably get angry. Um, normally angry or 
as I used to often do myself, is revert to a very, revert to self-pity. Victim mode completely. How dare you ask this of me? Do you know how tough my days are to get through? Um, you know, there's so much going on for me. And immediately, the person who's, who's tried to confront the problem is on the back foot. You've now got either the family member who's weeping in front of you, or they've got so angry and slammed the door. So I think, for, I think someone needs to, you need to almost seek some kind of not necessarily professional advice or help, but ask someone in the know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to explain the symptoms that you've seen. Um, an alcoholic will be a lot more, it's a lot more shameful. Um, they'd probably, they're the ones that are probably going to, that are going to go into this victim mode. Whereas someone who's using an upper like cocaine or cat or crystal meth is probably going to get angry. Um, so I think that it's important to know what, what kind of addiction are you dealing with? If it's a prescription pill addiction, you're going to have flat out denial. The doctor's given it to me. They don't even think they have a problem. I think that's also important is you need to, how far along is it? Is it, do they know they have a problem and they've now been caught out or are they actually completely oblivious to the fact that they even acknowledge they have a problem? So there's certainly different levels. And I think that's why, you know, people need to seek help before confronting it because you could actually, this person could, the loved one could just shut down completely and you might never get to them again until it's, it's almost too late. So you are an addiction counselor. Yep. And you work with people with addictions. You work with families um, who are dealing with addiction. Mm. In your experience, what is the worst thing a person can do in trying to confront someone with an addiction? Hmm. Caught me there for me. Um, <laughs> I, think, um, I think it's almost, you're never going to almost get it right. I think even a professional who, who would come in and do a, an intervention of sorts, it's, it, yeah. Intervention, right? Yes. So when I think intervention, I think about TV. And I think about what they do on like sitcoms and stuff like that, where they have everybody and they have a chair and they sit the person down. Tell me you've got it. Like, That's exactly what like, happens. <laughs> is that a real thing? Yeah, it is. So what would happen? Okay, at Phoenix House, we have we have a guy that um, Roberto that deals exactly with that. So a family member would phone in. Um, he'd get, the loved one would give Roberto a brief understanding of, of what, what's going on. What are the symptoms? What are they experiencing? Do they actually know it is an addiction? Yes, they're using cocaine. Yes, they're using cat. Um, he'd then get more information. Um, and then what they would do is, yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd set something up. So an inter- intervention come into the home or, or wherever it is. Ideally, more families, the more family members, the better, or more loved ones or more employees, what, however it would, however the dynamics work around that, that addict, um, they would then give their side to the story. So it would be a very structured thing. They would, each, um, person in the room would have an opportunity to say how they've been affected by, by the addict's behavior. Not necessarily confrontational about you do this, you do that, but I feel this, I'm struggling at work to concentrate, I'm so worried about you. Not always is the, is the addict or alcoholic ready to listen, but however, that's where the, the person who would handle the intervention comes in and hopes, you know, acts almost as a mediator. So Phoenix House does have that yes, facility. Because we do, we understand that, I mean, family members, like I said to you from the beginning, it's almost an impossible task to confront someone who's in denial. So that's why, yeah, we bring in professional help and that's who you would, who you would chat to. 
And when you've got it right and you've got a person and they've agreed and they're coming to the rehab, what is that experience? What is that experience like? Because I think one of the things we were talking earlier about how protective mothers can be of their children mm. and, and den- in denial on behalf of the child too, possibly because we don't know enough, but also because of the worry of what's, what we don't know. We don't know what happens mm. in rehab centers. No one, you know, what happens in rehab centers stays at rehab centers. So you're kind of like worried about this. Look, I think there's two, okay, so there's two parts of your question from I've understood. What's it like in a rehab? And then, you know, what are the, what are the mothers or, or family members doing that's hindering the process? Um, l- let's talk firstly about hindering the process. I think what, what has happened? I mean, give you an example of especially these, I mentioned the young guys, 19 to 25 neopiatics, okay? They have mothers who are most of the time a single mother. They are often working in a, quite a low paid job. A lot of them are, are government employees. So they do have medical aid, which means that they, their son is a dependent on there. So they are able to put their child into rehab. Um, the mother at that point is normally acknowledged that there is a drug problem. They don't always know what, but they've, they've sought help. You know, they know their son needs help. Let's pop them into treatment. Unfortunately, from there, they then enable the child in or the, or the son. Okay. I'm not all. I'm, yeah. So we Phoenix house only take people over the age of 18. So it's not children, but, but their loved one, they enable while they in treatment. So they hinder the process because what they'll do is he now most addicts become incredibly demanding the moment they arrive. So now the tuck shop that we provide isn't good enough and the food, they need more. So I need bread. I need chocolates. I need, I need biltong. I mean, I, you, you don't, you wouldn't believe the lists that I have seen, um, patients give me in order to, in telling their mothers they need to fetch this. So now the mother works a full day at work, most of the time living reasonably far away from Phoenix house. Now she has to get, the son is now demanding the stuff. She then agrees completely and will get in a taxi after a full day's work. And, and come all the way to us to deliver something. She's not even allowed to see her, see the loved one in the first week, yet she will do that. So now we've got, yes, she's agreed there's a problem, but he's got no consequences while he's in there. He knows mommy still loves him. He knows that she's probably forgiven him already. Mm. So that, and that, that's happened in, I've worked in other rehabs before. And then if you're looking at more of a, a kind of more affluent, um, class of people i mean i i had an experience where a mother promised her son a brand new golf gti if he just completed four weeks in a treatment center there's no reason what yep i've watched families bring in brand new nikes brand new adidas brand new sets of clothes gucci handbags just do this for me just Just do do this this for me and then why is there any reason to get clean it's almost like a bonus going back into treatment because then you know that you might you might you might get something else. The GTI wasn't good enough. Next, we'll get a Merc. Nice Jeez. little A class for maybe doing six weeks. <laughs> so I've got an interesting um, message here from her handle. It's not me. It's her handle, that bitch Jane. <laughs> and, and she and she writes here. I'll confess, crystal meth was my party drug of choice, but I've been clean for the past year. But I have been smoking weed for the past ten years, and I find that it helps me focus and control my diarrhea. Yes. Um, And don't see myself quitting because the quality of weed has become so much better. It's more medicinal for me. And and what I find so fascinating, thank you for that, Jane. And and what I find so fascinating about this is the the trade up. You know, I need it. 
I need it. It helps me focus. I, is there a lot of that kind of, I can't get off this. I can't deal with like going clean or going dry because I actually needed it. It actually makes me better. You know what? I like to talk about the symptoms of denial. It's all very well saying, yeah, but you're in denial. You're this. But why? How, mm. how do you know that? Tell me about so, that. So what I like to say, look, there's a number. I think you're probably, you're looking at probably 30 symptoms of denial, which be, for example, justification, rationalizing, minimizing, exaggerating, comparing. So in this case, I'm thinking we're, we're dealing with kind of justifying. You know, it's for health reasons. I don't use crystal meth. That's so bad. Um, you know, my face doesn't look badly bad on a mugshot if I use weed. I'm sure you've seen those mugshot, you know, differences. So, yeah, I mean, you, she, this lady Jane probably gets away with, with using weed every day and, and physically no one notices. But yeah, so the, the, there's the denial. It's for health reasons, not as bad. Um, and as far as the fellowships of NA and AA go, you know, you, you need to be clean of all mood altering substances. So, Yes, Jane is abstaining from crystal meth, yet she, we wouldn't consider a person to she, she to be in recovery because she is still using another illegal drug. Mm. And when I, when I was getting ready for the show today and just kind of researching and reading up about it, I, I found a very interesting, because there's lots of different definitions, you know, we for addiction, for substance abuse mm. and all of that. And the psychology today, um, addiction... Definition says it's a condition that results when a person ingests a substance or engages in an activity that can be pleasurable, but the continued use or act of which becomes compulsive and interferes with ordinary life responsibilities. So the compulsion that I can't mm. do without it, I need it to concentrate, all of that kind of stuff. But, and, you know, and I think you, you spoke and Jane speaks about the medicinal use. Mm. Of it, and I think you spoke a little bit earlier also about prescriptions. Yeah. You know, it's easy to justify. You kind of like, I need a prescription. I need the prescription. I need this. But how does one, over and above the justification, go? You know what? I need help here. And when you need help, how do you do that without the shame? Without the the judgment, because I think one of the things that makes it very difficult mm. to ask for help as well is judgment and shame. And is it real or is it just in the head of the person? No, I mean, it's most certainly, it is most certainly real. I mean, there's a, there's a stigma. Most people think that a, a drug addict is someone who's shooting up heroin in a, a dirty bathroom. A delinquent. Or, <laughs> yes, exactly. Or an alcoholic who's on a car park bench with a brown paper bag. Okay. Now the problem is, well, maybe I can, you know, talk about women specifically here yes, because please. it's womandla. Um, let's talk about a prescription pill addict. What you're finding is a lot of them are housewives. They look pretty functional from the outside. They've got three kids and they drop them off at school and they watch them play soccer, take them home, take the kids home and cook dinner. But they sometimes, Depending on the on the extent of the addiction, are running around in blackout. They are managing to do all those things and not remembering what they've done the day before. Um, and because this, of the stigma attached, it's almost it's sometimes impossible that you will get one of these stereotypical women to admit that they have a problem because you know they're not they're not going down a dirty alley and collecting you know drugs from a Nigerian. You know they. 
they're, they're going to their doctor. You know, they're off, they're off to the doctor in the middle of Santon and they're getting a, a little script. And, you know, surely the doctor agreed it's not that bad. Um, is, the doctor, is the doctor an enabler? Of course, 100%. Look, I'm not blaming all doctors. I think, I think in some cases, um, tranquilizers and what, what we call them as benzodiazepines are needed. Now what? What's it? What? <laughs> it's called a benzodiazepine. So that's the class of drugs that basically are your, I mean, most commonly people will know of a Valium, a Xanor, those kind of things. That's like what happy pills. <laughs> yeah. You know, they take the edge off. Yeah. So I've got the stressful yeah, end for you. Yeah, because tough, hey, Nicole. Yeah, life the is... kids are screaming, why not have a Valium? The problem is it's like 10 Valiums four months down the line and a glass of wine on top of it. And they're not going to admit to their friends at the private school where they're running around in their, in their heels. They're not ever going to admit they have a problem. And that's where I think that's most certainly when intervention has to happen. So, look, I mean, the, the Valiums, the, the happy pills, the, and taking the edge off mm. is because like life can be a bit abrasive, right? <laughs> life can be a bit abrasive. So what then, how do you deal with that? In rehab, and how do you come out on the other side? Kind of because I've now I, I I can't take it. I can't take it. I need the drugs. I need the weed. I need I need to zone out. I need I need the alcohol. I need to dull it. I you know dull the pain. Okay, that doesn't go away. But when you come back from rehab, how do you stop a relapse? Okay, well let's talk. Okay, so what's Phoenix House provides um, a minimum of a twenty-one day program. We then move to to four weeks, six weeks, and then a maximum of twelve weeks. And we provide inpatient, out and outpatient. So so let's talk inpatient. So say let's let's work with the twenty-one day program because that's most common. Medical aids will cover that. Um, the the patient. Good to yeah. know. Medical aids will cover that. Yes, medical aids. As far as the latest information that I received, have to provide substance abuse rehabilitation as part of their benefits, regardless on whether you are on the lowest um, package, I'm not entirely sure what the, the correct term is there, or the highest. They do need to provide that. So that's why something like GEMS, which is your government medical aid, um, even if it's it's the lady who's who's cleaning the floor, the gentleman that is doing the gardens outside a police station, he should have that substance abuse cover and therefore his dependents get that too. So if you've got dependents and you're worried about how am I going to pay for that kind of shit, you know, this is definitely check with your medical aid. Yeah, good definitely. information. And, and, and you are going to look, you're going to have to look at certain, the, the amount that the rehab is going to be charging for 21 days. That's what's great about Phoenix House. We've, 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 our fees are in line with medical aid. So if you're on something at, at relatively high, I've forgotten what the word is, it's not a package. Not insured. Plan, okay. plan. There we go. If you're on a good plan, you'll find that you don't even pay. There's no shortfall for treatment at Phoenix. Um, whereas you're more kind of affluent um, uh, rehab, so there's going to be a huge shortfall to pay. Um, so yeah, so yeah, get, getting into treatment, okay. And then what would happen within those twenty day, twenty one days? Our focus is because it's short term. Is what is the immediate problem, which is the addiction? But what else is there? Maybe someone comes in cocaine and alcohol addiction. Hang on a second. There's gambling as well, or a lot of a lot of young women crystal meth addiction. Ah, there's an eating disorder as well. So what is the immediate problem? What do we have to deal with right then and there? Um, and, and firstly, that would be about breaking the denial again, because they 
oh, any patient's going to throw at me what I, you know, I spoke about. They're going to justify it. They're going to compare it to the guy next door. They're going to rationalize it. Same as what that lady, Jane, has said. You know, it's for medicinal purposes. I function highly on it. Um, break that denial. That's the hardest part of treatment. And any patient's not going to like that. It's normally quite confrontational and challenging therapy for that. And then after we've, we've, we've moved from the denial breaking stage, it's then about looking at the behaviors. Someone, let me give you an example of a patient that I've just had. He is what we call a chronic people pleaser. He says yes to everything. Problem is after he said yes, he gets resentful. He gets angry, and in his case, he resorts to violence, and he, had, and he resorts to, and then after the violence, he resorts to crack cocaine. So the something simple is saying, yes, you can have one of my cigarettes. The long-term effect of that is he's sucking on a crack pipe. Or we've got a mother who says yes to the other mother at school, I'll fetch your kids. Meanwhile, she doesn't have any time to fetch the kids from school. She's already got to cook dinner, organize a a function. She's got three screaming kids at home, but she's agreed to another mother to say yes. And what is happening at 6 p.m.? She's taking her Valium. And so glass the, of wine. Yes, of course. So that's what we're looking at. Then the rest of the treatment is the behaviors. Some people, it's not people-pleasing. Some people, it's just a deep-seated resentment towards something. Um, body image issues in women are huge, huge, huge. Um, and then towards the end of treatment, or, yeah, you could say concurrently while that's going on, is, is giving them tools for the outside. Go to NA meetings. Go to AA. Get a sponsor. Um, seek, seek grief counseling. Go for trauma counseling there. Um, so, yeah, it's tools for them to, to live by on the outside. So that's what you're looking at. Break the denial, look at the behaviors, and give them tools. Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com. I'm speaking with Nicole from Phoenix House, and we're chatting about drug addiction and how to break it because it is Drug Awareness Week, Drug Awareness Month. And one of um, my other favorite artists who everybody knows about his problem and his problem was coincidentally prescription drugs is young Eminem. And he wrote this. He actually wrote an entire album in his trying to, to, to deal with getting over the addiction and working through the addiction. He wrote an entire album. And this is one of my favorite songs, which I think everybody agrees is one of the best songs of that album in 2010. CliffCentral.com I am a South African. I carry the hopes and dreams of my country and the generations to come. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanye, 
We believe the future of our country will be defined by our actions today, which is why we are committed to the development of our leaders. Sibanye, we are one. Visit us on sibanyegold.co.za. Business leaders around the globe are committing to building a better world for everyone. Cliffcentral.com is joining forces with the Sympathy Sleepout, taking a stand for the plight of the homeless. We invite you to participate with us in the Sympathy Sleepout on the 28th of July, 2016. Join the ranks of leaders of change by using your influence for what truly matters. Sign up now for the Sympathy Sleepout on www. Dot the CEO sleepout ZA dot CO dot ZA. That's the CEO sleepout ZA dot CO dot ZA. Choice. Sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't. AutoTrader gives you the choice. Now you can shop, compare, and buy new cars. Watch our expert video reviews and research before you buy. AutoTrader New Car. The choice is yours. I'm Pomima Shekho and you're listening to Womanla. I'm chatting with Nicole, who is an addiction counselor at Phoenix House. It's a private institution, but it is one of the oldest ones in Johannesburg um, that deals with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction and alcohol addiction. I'm just not winning with these words today. Tongue twister <laughs> every time. We're chatting about drug addiction and how to identify and how to help a loved one because it is drug awareness month it's drug awareness week um especially this week nicole so now you've been to rehab or i've convinced my loved one to go to rehab and they've done their 21 days or however long they needed to do and they're dry and they're coming back home then what you know, is it easy to just come out of rehab where you've been away from every every temptation to just come back and be plonked into real life and carry on with it? And you've got personal experience with this. Not at all. That's when the hard work starts. That's what I say to to my patients about treat, treatment's easy. You get told when to wake up. You get told what to eat. You get, you know, group therapy happens. You get told to open up. You get told to share your feelings. Um, you get instructed to do things. Um, when you get out, you have a choice and, and that's, that's where addicts and alcoholics struggle is choice. Um, when there's an option and that's where they have to be hyper vigilant about, about what they're doing and how are they keeping themselves safe? Um, Phoenix House advocates, um, a 12 step program and that then ties in with what we call narcotics anonymous and alcoholics anonymous. Um, most people out there will be familiar with meetings and yes, they are exactly as you see in the movies as well. Dude, okay. there's an AA meeting that happens somewhere here in Joburg that people talk about. I'm, I'm yet <laughs> to find out where because no one will tell you where exactly, but apparently it's like, yeah, the it's biggest a meeting. Secret society. There. <laughs> it's like the biggest meeting and the stuff that people talk about there is so saucy. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's obviously the focus that we, that we have. Um, and that's what worked for me, for me. Um, I spent quite a number of months in long-term treatment. Um, all those symptoms of denial that I spoke about, the justification, rationalizing, comparing, I had all of them. Because Jane sent an she sent another message yes. saying, but you know, if the, if the side effects aren't that bad, can it be okay? <laughs> you know can I, mean? can I just Jane. jump, jump in there with, 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 with marijuana? 
Marijuana can, in some cases, induce psychosis and in sometimes permanent psychosis. So, so you know, like in the township, like weed is like everywhere. People know about mm-hmm. it. People do it or whatever. But always the old people always used to say, you know, it's, it makes you mad. that if you, if you And they're if 100% you, right. It makes you mad. Because certain people are, and I stand to be correct, are predisposed to the possibility of get, being psych, going into psychosis from from smoking marijuana. Um, and again, I mean, I've had contact with patients directly and people that I was in treatment with who have smoked uh, smoked weed, not that chronically even, who have gone into psychosis. And literally they walk around like vegetables, completely lost sight of reality. They have schizophrenic behavior. And that's from weed. It's not from LSD. It's not from cocaine. It's not from intravenous heroin. It's from simply smoking a joint. And that's, you know, that's the scary stuff. So, yes, Jane maybe not have, hasn't gone into psychosis, but you're one joint or one smoke away from psychosis if you're going to risk your, if you're going to risk smoking marijuana. And I think that's that's what that's the denial of a whole. The whole world, basically, not just one person. Mm. So you, you have been, you've been um, sober or dry, as they say, for three years. Three and a half, almost three and a half. Yeah, three and a half years. And is it true that every day is a struggle? Um, you know what? Yes. Uh, what what I was saying just a couple of minutes ago, it's you have to be hyper vigilant. So in some some days, being vigilant. For me, is a struggle. Some days it, it's it's you know part of the way I live, um, and I'd say that the raw rewards from of me being in recovery are far 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 greater than the the perceived struggle I have to deal with. But it's you know what it, it ties in with with people, places, things. That's what we are you know. It's another tool we give patients when they leave. Avoid dangerous people, places, things. People is the people that you used to use with most of the time or you used to drink with. The people in the pub, the people playing pool at Stones, um, things like that. And then the places would obviously be, don't, I mean, the obvious ones is don't go to a bar, don't go to, don't go to a trance party, things like that. The things would be, say, for if you're a sex addict, don't watch movies of a sexual nature, things like that. Maybe don't don't even go into a casino, even if it's for dinner, if you're a gambling addict, things like that. So I think the challenge comes in and the, and the struggle would be when an addict or an alcoholic is f- or a gambling addict or a sex addict is forced into a situation or has no choice to go. You know, they've got their maybe it's something innocent, you know, dad's 60th birthday party, but there's alcohol readily available. You kind of have to, you have to be there. You can't say, oh, I'm not coming to that. Yeah. Party. And you can put a time limit on it, but that's when I think you've got what, what the struggle, because there's a temptation right in front of you. And what can I do as a family member? What can I do that says, Hmm, I can help this person not relapse. What are those things that I should be doing or my hypervigilance as it were. So if I'm an enabler mother, if I'm the kind of mother that, that, that wants to help you in every way, you know, what are the things that I should do and what are the things that I should not do okay. that will stop a person from relapsing? Um, look, yeah, I mean, I mean, most, yeah, you've got, you've pro- the problem is you do, you've got these enabling mothers. Let, let's talk in the case of, of, yeah, the guys that I mentioned with these mothers that are already enabling in treatment. The problem is the son comes out and he physically looks much, much better. 
He's probably being polite. He's having a conversation with his mother. And maybe for the first couple of weeks, hopefully the, as much as that, they are, are supportive. They are very, they are vigilant in their own way, um, not giving money, not, not, yeah, most of the time not giving money out, you know, not letting them do things on a whim. The problem is they see this, this change, this significant change. And all of a sudden when he's asking for a hundred rand and says it's for the movies, that the mother is actually thinking generally that's what he is. And then, and then maybe that night he doesn't, he uses the hundred rand for the movies. The problem is he knows now mommy's going to give him money. So then next weekend, you know, he might go, he's going to hit, uh, he's going to go and play pool somewhere. Okay. And he's going to have a Coke. But then the next weekend, he's probably going to either pick up his drug of choice or he's going to, he's going to have a drink. So addiction is a selfish, selfish disease. You know, it takes everyone out around you. It affects everyone. However, recovery is also pretty selfish because now like the example of the 60th birthday party, it's your dad's party, and you realize that you've committed to doing what we call a 90 and 90, which means you will go to an AA or NA meeting for 90, consistently for 90 days, so 90 meetings in 90 days. Now you realize if I, if I go to this, this function, I'm not going to complete it. I'm going to have to start from scratch. And therefore you have to say, family, look, this is my priority right now. And you'll find it, I mean, it can be quite, you know, a struggle for the family members. But hold on, you know, you used to drop us when you were in an active addiction and now you're still dropping us. So that's where, that's where the family needs to be supportive. They need to understand that recovery is, as much as the addiction was the, the addict's um, priority, the recovering addicts or alcoholics priority is meetings. It is speaking to their sponsor. It's avoiding people, places, things. And that that's the support that they can provide. What are the things that you should be vigilant about not doing? So I'm helping you. You're out of recovery. You're out of, you, you know, it's been a year. You've been good and all of that stuff. How do I not relapse into my enabling behaviors too? I think... I think there's one thing you need to recognize immediately, understand immediately the, the, the loved one is that you have absolutely no control over whether the recovering addict or alcoholic is going to relapse. You have near zero control, um, over that. You can really hope for the best, but it's, it's not in your control. You could give all the support you could possibly imagine in every way, followed by the book, see, sought help from professional. They've told you exactly how to handle Joe Soap. He might still, he might still relapse in a month or a year. You have no control over that. So I think by under, truly understanding that you're not going to get yourself into a panic all the time. Um, because you, you have no control. Um, what not to do, I, I think, is reward. Do not reward the recovering addict alcoholic for, for their sobriety or their clean time. Reward with, with, with verbally, we are proud, you know, it's fantastic the way you're achieving things. But, but you're not getting not, the GTI. No, not getting the GTI or the A class. No way. Or the new Nikes. Not going to help. Because, I mean, then why are they actually, are they, then you, you have to wonder, are they, are they staying clean and sober because they want to be rewarded? Or they staying clean and sober because they genuinely want to live in recovery. And that for me is the biggest reward. If we, if we look at me personally, living in recovery is the most beautiful thing that I've been given. Sometimes these days where I actually, I almost am grateful for the addiction because it gives me, I look at life very differently um, to say what I like to call the normal person. 
Um, I, I think I will. I try to have empathy. I try to have gratitude um, for things. I was. I was. I came from a very, a very well-to-do, but a very. You know, I never wanted for anything. Loving family, parents still married, beautiful sisters. I didn't see any of that. I just saw what I could get. What was more, more, more. And now that's enough. That's enough. Waking up clean and sober, going to work, even when it's a tough day, that's enough. And I always, I had the disease of more, we like to call it. And now it's enough. Mm. Even if it's a tough day, it's enough. Like coming in here today, for me, I would have never in a million years imagined that I could do this. Never. I never would imagine anyone would want me to do this. Would they ever want to hear what I had to say? No. Because most of the time I lied. And now driving here today, I was riddled with anxiety. Um, kind of felt quite sick. But I had to remember, hang on a second, this is what I've been given. Look at this. I used to wake up on a Monday, on a what are we, Wednesday morning and want to know where the next bottle of gin was and how I was going to get it and how was I going to sneak into that bottle store with no one looking. But now I walk in here clean and sober and I have a chat to you, which has been fantastic and totally different to what I expected. And then I'm going to leave here and I'm going back to work and I'm going to help people to have the life that I have now. So I can hear you say my life is better without the without the alcohol, without the addiction. Is it ever advisable as, as a counselor and having worked with so many people, worked through your own um, addiction, but also worked with people who have addictions? You know, it's easy in society. We kind of go, ah, why didn't they just cut him off? You know, just let him be. If he wants to be on drugs, if he wants to be an alcoholic, cut him off and cut him loose and let him like figure it out out there in the world. Is it ever advisable for family members to just say, you must work it out on your own. You must work it out on your own. And I'm, I'm okay with whatever the consequence is and cut that person off. Yes. In some cases, 100%. I think, and that's where support groups like one called, there's one called tough love and there's Al-Anon um, and Naranon, which shows basically family support. Naranon would be for NA narcotics and then Al-Anon for Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what they teach you. They going back to what I said, you have no control over whether someone's going to relapse. And, um, by yes, do it the soft approach first. Maybe, maybe try speaking, then the intervention, give them treatment. If, if, if the person you've helped either is insistent on not going to treatment and there's, and they've, and they've given the opportunity, which they're very lucky to have, or they've been in treatment and still messing up. Yes, I 100% agree. The tough love approach needs, you need to use that because you're going to hurt yourself. The loved one is going to be the one who goes insane. Um, so it's very important. And I think, I think for me, I was very lucky to be provided with long-term treatment right to the end. But I do distinctly remember my dad saying to me, Nicole, it's not about, it's not necessary about you getting help this time. It's because me and your mother don't want to see you for a year. And, and that hit me. I remember him walking away from me at the airport. Okay. Now I'm going to get emotional. And, and he, and he had hung his head and I could see the tears in his eyes. And it wasn't a case of, he didn't even have hope then. I don't think that I would get better. It was just go, just, just figure this out. Um, and that for me, that day was a turning point. My mom, I tried to say goodbye to her that morning, the morning I left and she turned over in her bed and she, she didn't even acknowledge me. You know what? That saved my life. There were a number of things, but those two things, they stick with me all the time. And I'm grateful that she turned over in her bed. And I'm grateful that my dad said, you know, just leave us alone for a year. Because I truly then surrendered and I went, you know what? I've, I need this. I have to do whatever I can to stay clean and sober. Sure. That's amazing. And I, I, I can 
tell that it takes incredible strength to to get you to where you are and to have gotten you here. So thank you for thank sharing you. that with us. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. So Phoenix House, do you know the numbers? I was like, give them out. If anybody is interested, you're listening today and you're thinking, oh, I know somebody that needs help or I need help. Phoenix House is available in Johannesburg. It's a private healthcare facility, uh, but your medical aid will pay for it. How do they get in touch with you? Okay, so the number to dial is 086-111-REHAB. Um, and then you can also look at our website, www.phoenixhouse.co.za, and also take a look at our Facebook page that's updated daily, a lot of inspirational messages. So it's fantastic. I think even if, you, if you're just a recovering addict who hasn't even been in Phoenix House, take a look at our page every day. Um, there's, there's always something motivational, and maybe someone, a loved one needs help at some point. And again, if, if it's an ex-patient from Phoenix House, keep in touch over Facebook. You too, Jane, you too. I'm reading all your messages and they're making me laugh so hard because <laughs> she's, thank you for the love and she's, she's been sending in messages. And, and I think, you know, for me, there's a, there's a definite scourge that's growing in our country. With all the problems that we also have, please, can we not have this problem too? Let's nip it in the bud. Let's let's get out there, help the people that help the people that we can help, help the people that we do know, help the people that we do love. Not just because it's drug and alcohol awareness week, um, or day or month, mm. but because there's a better life to be lived, and you could be part of helping that person have a better life. I'm Pumi Mashekho. You've been listening to. Womantla on cliffcentral.com I'm back again next week. See you then. This is cliffcentral.com.